How many of you like to run? Be honest. Okay. <laughs> How many of you like it after you've run? Better. How many of you just pretty much vow you're never going to run? <laughs> That's so fun. I, I like this. This is a fun series. It's so interesting to see all the little stories in the Bible about someone running somewhere, running to something, from something. But today um, we have the privilege of looking at a familiar story, at least to me and to many of you. It's often called the prodigal uh, son. But I, I really feel like it should be called the loving father. Because it really is about the father and his love for his son. And, and so we're going to just kind of unpack this. I was thinking about what makes me run. And I've had years when I've run consistently. And, and then I, my, my knees kind of start to bug me. So I'm doing some other things. But I know this. I know as a kid there was one thing that always made me run. Like hopefully all of us would run to help someone in trouble or something like that. But I remember at youth camp as a fourth, fifth, sixth grader, even through middle school, being at camp for four nights, five days, up at Cedar Ridge, Colorado, when the, when the food bell would ring. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? The, when the food bell would ring, we would run. Because you had to get in the front of the line, and you had to beeline it there as fast as you could, and uh, that made me run. So food, how many of you, food will make you run? Okay. <laughs> Okay, well, we're going to have some fun today looking at this. Thanks for being here. God bless you. I hope you're enjoying summer, having a great time. It's amazing what we have here in Colorado. So get out there and love it. It's, it's the story that captures our hearts because of many reasons. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig a little deep today. How many of you are in a mode that you can say, maybe the Spirit could actually talk to me about something in my life? A couple of you. So don't resist, don't resist if God really wants to get your attention today because we have three completely different things to deal with. We have the prodigal who is going to run through all the fences and screw up his whole life. Some of you might be right at that moment where you're thinking about walking away from commitment. I'm amazed as a pastor how many times I hear of a wife that said, goodbye, I'm sick of this, or a husband that's unfaithful and says, I'm done, I'm out. And on and on, we have these commitments that say, we just, people say, I want to go do my own thing. I'm sick of living under the guidelines and the restrictions of some, our culture is pushing us to go live like we want to live, regardless of the consequences. Then we have this other guy, he's called the elder brother in scripture. He's, he's the prodigal's brother, and he's the guy that stays home and does it all right. He's the goody two-shoes in a way, the self-righteous one who is upset when he doesn't get what the, the younger son got. And you're going to see him. I believe all of us have some elder brother in us. I believe all of us have some moments when we say, well, that isn't fair. Well, that isn't right. Well, they go do that and I'm stuck here doing this. We're going to deal with that attitude, so please. And then the loving father. The Bible says, the reason this sermon is in the series is it says, when the father saw his son a long ways off down the road, he ran to meet him. Even though his son had messed up, his father ran to meet him. That shows the heart of God. So let's unpack this and talk about it. If you have a program on the back page, follow along. 
and we'll write some things down. A lot of blanks, but a lot of them will go really fast. Number one is just the prodigal. Let's talk about him. In Luke 15, if you have a Bible, you can lay it open on your lap. We're just going to go through several verses. Verse 12, the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now instead of waiting until you die. This didn't happen very often in Jesus' day, but this is the request of the son. And by the way, this is a parable Jesus is telling. It's not a real story that happened, but he's illustrating some thoughts through this story. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed up his belongings, took a trip to a distant land. The first thing I want you to write down on that blank is just the good. The good, because there's some good in this story. I want to say to some of you young people, you students that are here today, you, I want to tell you, it's okay to dream a dream about what your life's going to be like. It's a wonderful thing when you say, I look forward to the day when I leave the nest and I either go to college or I, I'm working on my career, I'm going out there. This guy had ambition. At least so far in the story, nothing bad has happened. Would you agree? He simply says, I want to spread my wings. I want to go see stuff. It helps. Who knows? Maybe mom gets a new guest room. He's out of here, you know. And, uh, and mom is happy. Who knows? But, but there's this idea that he's going to go experience, expand his border, establish his own identity. And every one of us needs to do that. It's just how you do it that will define you. That's important. The second line is the bad. We have the good, we have the bad. Guess what the third one is? It's the ugly. It is. We're going to get there in a minute. But let's talk about the bad here just for a moment, okay? The bad is when the Bible says in a few days, this guy packs all of his stuff. He takes a trip to a distant land. And it says this phrase, he wasted all of his money on wild living. Now, Jesus does not define wild living. That's subjectional. But what we know as a result of this, quote, wild living, is that he basically ran through all the restrictions that his family had on him. He broke all the rules of what expectations would be. He slept with prostitutes, the Bible indicates later. He has all this kind of crazy party life going on, and it goes really, really bad. Now, he may have fun for a while, but it's going to be challenging, as you'll see as the story goes. Things go bad when several things happen. I'm just going to give you some points that, that you can take them or leave them, but I, I believe these are true. Things go bad in people's lives when they pursue only pleasure. If, if, you're, if your goal is to just pursue pleasure your whole life, you're going to end up without a meaningful life. It's okay to have things that feel good, that you like. God created us to enjoy pleasure. He put Adam and Eve in the garden so they could have food and nourishment. They could multiply the earth. Sexuality, all of those things were defined by God in the very beginning. But there are expectations from God as to where those lines are. Things go bad when I refuse to live within healthy boundaries. Healthy boundaries are important in your life. If you go to a zoo and you visit the lions, they probably are in a cage. If you said to the zookeeper, I want to pet them, they would say, not a good idea. Why? Because they could kill you. So there's a fence 
There's, there's a gate here that says, don't go through this gate. God has set up some gates and some fences in our life, not to take away our fun, not to destroy our pleasure, but because he knows what happens when we cross those boundaries. Oh, I know. We're in a culture that's like, don't, don't box me in. I'm, I'm open-minded. I can do whatever I want. You don't know what's good for me and what's bad for me. No, I don't, but I'll tell you this. When you race through the, the, the boundaries that God has set in the word of God, you will end up destroying much of your life. There are consequences to going outside of the healthy boundaries that God has set for our life. And it's tricky, and I know it's tricky. And our culture just wants to ignore it. Our culture just wants to say, forget all that, go live your life. Yeah, okay, we have a picture of this right here. I think it goes bad when I give no thought to consequences. It goes bad when I give no thought to consequences. What's it gonna be like after the fact? Okay, let's get to the ugly. This is, this is ugly. This guy, this prodigal, the Bible says in verse 16, he became so hungry that even the pods that he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. Is that ugly or is that ugly? That's ugly. When pig food looks good to you, um, you're in trouble, right? So we need to pay attention. No, the Bible says no one gave him anything. How did this get so ugly so fast? I assure you, when he was packing his bag in his room and all the good stuff and he had that wad of cash, he wasn't thinking that he was going to wake up eating pig food. This wasn't in his business plan. This wasn't his idea. He was going to go explore. He was going to go live. He was going to go live the wild life that he was dreaming about. And yet, it cost him greatly. Wow. You know it's ugly when you're alone. What happened to all the other people he was partying with? Suddenly, they're not around. Your mind gets twisted. I, I'm, I'm working with, and many of you who work in the field of counseling and care, it's very complex how twisted our mind can get and the desires and the cravings that are taking place in our culture right now. When you look at the stats of pornography and all kinds of sex, you know, LGBT added another cue. There are two cues for saying, I don't know what I am sexually. And, and I was thinking about that and what that means and, and the, the, the challenges that that creates for people that, that have this identity loss of who they are. And, and I think of of what can happen in my mind as it gets twisted in my appetite. Suddenly pig food looks good. Suddenly these cravings are not of God. I don't know. I'm just digging a bigger prison in my life. I'm digging more addiction. I'm going deeper into that thing that's slowly taking life away from me. And I, I want to tell you, if you're in that today, I hurt for you. I do. And I want God, we're going to pray for you in a little while, that God can bring deliverance to you and get you out of that because that is not how God wants you to live. It's not. There's a better way. You know it's ugly when you run out of relationships because relationships are the most important thing you have in your life, especially with God. But when I see people who run away from relationships, there's no one left in their life. Everyone's tried, but you've burned all the bridges. How am I going to do this? That's the story of the prodigal. That's what happens, and we'll see. But let's go to the elder brother just for a few minutes. This is the guy who stayed home. This is the guy who did everything right. And let's read it in verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son 
was in the fields working because that's where he lived. That's what he always did. Good thing. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Oh, your brother is back, he was told. Your father has killed the fattened calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry, and he wouldn't even go in the house. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years, I have slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing that you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. And by the way, that, the fattened calf thing is a big deal. It's expensive. Families would, would fatten the calf all year long and they would have the biggest party celebration and it would be for the biggest thing that happened the whole year. So the fact that it's getting used for this is, is a big deal to the brother. Now we need to just pause here for a second and ask the question. Do you feel that this older brother is a little justified in, in what he's feeling? I do. I mean, I, I feel sorry for him because... He has, he has done well. He's, he's paid attention to what mattered. He has been faithful. He's been loyal to his dad. So, so there's a side of me that can have empathy for him. But then when I look at his attitude and what he says to his dad, I see that he has just as many needs as the prodigal does. It's just on the other side of the line. Look at this. I mean, number one in your outline, he was angry. He, he, he was angry. He was venting. He, I, why was he angry? I think he was angry because it was beyond his control. I think you have a guy here who's used to getting his way. He's probably even used to let, you know, talking his dad into doing certain things on the farm and everything. And so he's, he's kind of that guy who's taken over the land and, and he has the say and he has the power. He has the influence. Suddenly he has no authority. He has no influence. The party's already started. The fattened calf has already been killed. And it makes him mad because he had no say in any of that. How do you handle not being in control? How do you handle when your influence gets wiped out and you're not running the show? Are you loyal then? Are you submitted to others who have authority over you then? Second thing, he wouldn't even go in the house. He, he stays outside and his dad actually comes out and says, please come in. You know, it's easy to sit outside the house and criticize what's going on inside. Oh, those Christians, they're all hypocrites. Oh, those people. All the things that people say to excuse their behavior from not doing the things they should be doing. It's always easy. As a matter of fact, I, I get so tickled at this. We're in that time of year where football's coming back and the draft and all the stuff. And so people are talking about the Broncos. Do you know how many people there are that know how to get the Broncos back to the Super Bowl out there? <laughs> you know. Lots of people who have never played professional football one day their entire life, but they are in the chair and they know. Fascinating. Why? Because it's easier that way. And people think they know. This, this older brother had this idea that he thought he knew what was best. Another one in your outline is that he kept track of how great he was. Now, this is a telltale sign. When he starts on this list, I lose some empathy for him. Because he says this, all these years I've worked hard for you. I've never refused to do a single thing. That may be true, but he's keeping track. I'm a goody two-shoe. I've worked my little fingers to the bone for you. I've done everything for you. Boy, that's a guilt trip. 
You know, don't be like that. When you do something for somebody, do it and move on. Don't remind them of how good you are and all the great things you've done. You ever been around someone, all they want to talk about is all the things they've done, all the things they've, you just want to say, shut up, you know. I mean, in Jesus' name, you know, or something nice, something, <laughs> something nice. <laughs> right? It, this, this is interesting because this is, this is how people that are good people who love God who fill up churches across America. And please hear this. And I thank God for Timberline because we don't have a lot of this. But I can see how people get a little self-righteous. They've walked with God a long time and suddenly they have a right to, to what Timberline is supposed to do and they don't like a certain decision and I just, I just don't like that decision or I just don't like this. And suddenly this self-righteous spirit, I can always tell I'm in trouble when my appointment with someone starts with, I've been here for 24 years. I've been a faithful, I've been paying my tithe, I blah, I blah, I blah, and I'm just, then I'm like, okay, here we go. Whatever it is. That's why Jesus says our self-righteousness is like what? Filthy rags. It's why he said, you see a, a speck of sawdust in some, you know, in, in someone else's eye when you don't see the two by four in your own eye. You're blind to yourself. You, you miss the fact that you're the elder brother and you don't even know it and you're whining about stuff instead of seeing a bigger picture about stuff. He also kept track of how he was rewarded. Not just how good he was, but he actually says, you've never even given me a goat. It's, it's like, I didn't get the bonus. I didn't get the pay raise. I didn't get what you're giving this guy who's squandered everything you've given him. He's keeping track of that. How do you handle these things? Listen, silent resentment will destroy your life. It will destroy your life. You, you talk to people and you see it come out. Well, you know the way they treated me. I'll tell you right now. I'm just, and you, and it, just, it just grows and all of a sudden they're living in this horrible trap. And Satan loves it that you're there. He loves to hold you captive there. He loves it that you resent that person so much that it takes energy out of you every day. He loves it. Why? Because he wins. You say, well, I can't forgive him. Well, sometimes people don't understand. You may not ever like him. You can forgive him in Jesus' name and move on. It doesn't mean you need to reestablish a connection with him. You just recognize they're a jerk and move on. And that sounds funny, but I mean, it's true. You rec Some people just don't deserve your friendship or your, or your respect. But you're going you're gonna to know that God values them and wish the best for them and hope God gets a hold of them. But it's not going to be me that makes all that happen unless God opens that door. But he's keeping track of how he's rewarded. Let me give you a quote that I like. Don't expect to be treated fairly in this life, and you will never be disappointed. He doesn't even recognize his brother as a brother. This is the dagger for me. He doesn't say, my brother's home. You know what he says? It's, it's verse 30. He says, when this son of yours comes home. Like, he's, he's distanced himself. He doesn't want relationship. He's not sad that his brother left. He never had a burden. He never carried. And I, I see this kind of attitude sometimes come out when people feel justified to complain about something they don't like. You know, I'm going to get an email this week that says, I really don't like that new song that you sang. The lyrics just 
weren't what I like to sing, and it was hard to follow, and this and the, well, you know, I, I would sort of like to get an email that said something like, you know, Pastor Derry, I don't really care how, what songs we sing at Timberline. I don't really care how loud the music is. I don't really care where I sit or where I park. You know what I care about? I care about that the spirit of the living God is alive in our church so people can have heart change for the rest of their life. Probably won't get an email now. (laughs) Do I care about the right things? And what do we exist for as a church? This isn't about me and my preferences or you and your preferences and everything I like. This is about us having passion to reach people who are lost away from God eating pig food. That's what it's about. That's why we're here. And thank you, Timberline. I am so privileged by the work you do, the heart you have. I promise you, honestly, we are a unique church. I I get to pastor a church that doesn't have a lot of that elder brother spirit. Why? Because you get it. And you're working toward it. And thank God for you. This guy was frustrated at the money spent. He says, you can't believe you killed the fattened calf. The elder son is seeing dollar signs everywhere. I want to get to the father. This is just my favorite part. It's why this message is in the series. You have the prodigal who messes up his life. You have the elder brother who is just as lost as the prodigal, just in different ways. Would you agree with that? He's he's no better off. He, He just has different attitudes. The father says in verse 20, so he returned home, the prodigal returned home to his father. And while, I love this line, while he was still a long way off, it's like there's a driveway coming up to the place. And every evening, dad is going out there with this hope that maybe his son will come back. His father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. Say those words with me, would you? Filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son. He ran to his son, embraced him, kissed him. His son said to him, and this is very important because this is repentance, you guys. This, is, this allows you to reestablish relationship. His son says, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick. Bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was what? Dead. And now he has returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. (laughs) These great words. So the party began. (laughs) Woo, get your dancing shoes on, right? The party began. Why? Why? Because this lost prodigal, this dead prodigal, his eyes were opened and he came home. And he knew he could come home. What does that say about the loving father? He knew he could come home. There are just a few, four or five things here. The robe. The robe is all about acceptance. It's it's a statement. It's a family dynasty thing, put, get the finest robe in the house, bring it, put it around him. You know, I love, Bonnie and I occasionally kind of luck out and get in a hotel where you open the closet and there's these big puffy robes. 
And it's like, oh, that's cool. I want to put that on. You know, but I always check the tag because if it says like one size fits all, it's not going to work. <laughs> if it fits me, it doesn't fit Bonnie, my wife, right? If it fits her, it really doesn't fit me. I remember one time in a room, I, I, I put it on like the arms came up to here, you know, and I'm like walking around. <laughs> but this robe fit. And it's just a statement of acceptance. That's really all it is. True acceptance. The ring. It's a sign of authority. The signet ring in a family like this would really speak to the audience Jesus was speaking to because they know that ring has authority and power with it. Matter of fact, you know what his dad was saying? His dad was saying, you now are my voice. You now are a decision maker. You now conceal the documents that matter to our household. Wow, that's pretty generous. That's pretty big considering the foolish decisions that he has made, but that's what he does. You know what he was saying with the ring? He was saying, you are still my son. I know what you've done. It's okay. You are still my son. That is powerful, the loving father. Then the sandals. The sandals are dignity. It was just this idea that your feet have wandered off and they've been filthy and they've been polluted and they've been in the pig pen. But you are home now. <laughs> you are home now. You know what I hope? I hope with all of my heart that we have a place here in our living room, that we have places in our office buildings, in our neighborhoods where we live, that when we see, when we see the prodigal who smells like pig food, that we will run to them. Because this place was designed I told you a story years ago about a little gal who, who walked in up the hall. Up, I was outside on the sidewalk in the summer, a day much like today. And I was out there just saying hi to people as they came in. She had no idea who I was. And, and I said hi. And she had all these piercings across her eyebrows and nose. And, and all, I mean, lots of piercings. And I said, wow, tell me about those piercings. They're amazing. She said, really? And I said, yeah. So she started telling me, this one's in Paris, this one was from here. She said, wherever I travel, I, I get a new piercing. You know, I'm wondering how she makes it through the airport. But, but a really neat gal. And, and she, she was telling me all these stories. And, and finally, I said, well, I'm really glad you're here. She said, it's my first time I haven't been to church since I was like seven years old. And I said, why is that? She said, Christians hate me. I said, what do you mean Christians hate you? She said, well, they give me that look. How many of you know what she meant? That look, like, why would you do that to your face? And I said, she said, my friend has invited me. It's my first time to ever come back to church. I'm really nervous, but, and her phone rang. She said, she's standing right here by this door. I'm going to go in now. I said, okay. And when she turned around to walk to the door, oh my gosh. I just had this little prayer. Please don't let someone give her that look. <laughs> and you didn't. And you loved her. And she's still around. Why? Because we run to the prodigals. We run to people who have wounded or wasted their lives. We run to people who are different than us. We're not the holiness police. Take the badge off. 
and just open your arms to people. The fattened calf is the last thing in your notes. It's generosity. Yes, it's undeserved. Time, talent, treasure. Let's pray. Lord, this is so moving to me. And I just thank you for a gathering like this with people who are working hard like me to understand what it means to have your spirit in us, a, a DNA that's different than our own human flesh and blood desires, but it's something bigger, it's something greater. It's, it's, it's looking beyond my own personal selfish desires and saying, there is a reason why I'm here. There is a reason why we are here as a church. And thank you for people who get that today. Thank you that we can enjoy your blessing, your grace. Thank you for the stories in, in, in these rooms, these auditoriums all weekend long of people who have come home and come back to God. Thank you, God. How many of you would just say, and I, again, I, I really don't want you to even raise your hand to this. I just want to put out three questions. The first one is this. I'm not really running to those who have life in the pig pen. I'm avoiding them. And I want the sweet spirit of God. I don't want you to feel guilty about that. I just want you to make an adjustment in your heart today to say, I want to have compassion. Granted, the prodigal repented and he said, I'm not worthy of this. And sometimes people have to have the pig pen experience before you can run to them. You get that? I mean it. Sometimes you have to just let people go. The father did not chase him down. And that's an important piece of the story. He didn't go after him to bail him out. He needed the pig pen experience to wake up. The Bible says he came to his senses. But we're going to be there when that happens for people. The second thing is, I will not be the elder brother. I want you to determine, and I want you to open your heart to say, what is the elder brother in me? What is the judgment? What is that that enjoys the failure of someone else? What is it? Why am I this way? God, forgive me. Cleanse me. Help me not to, to be so interested in someone else's wrongdoings or failings. It makes us feel better about ourselves. Maybe that's why we're so interested. But we need to stop that. Pray for people who are making mistakes. Pray for people who are running through the fences. Love them even in their mistakes. And lastly, the heart of that father that runs to meet someone on the road. You know what I'm going to do? If you have a prodigal in your life, now I don't want you to just sit here and try to think of one, but if God's burdened you with a prodigal and it's already on your mind, even before I'm saying this, you have a child or a parent or a loved one or someone that you work with that is way, way uh, from God and you say I, I want to stand in the gap for them in just a minute I'm going to have you stand and we're going to call their name out and we're going to pray for them I'm not going to have you come up here or anything so it will just be easy but if that's you and you're thinking of someone would you stand to your feet right now with me and we're going to pray for those that God will bring them home Now I want you to get their name ready in your mind because when I start to pray, I want you to say their name. I want you to say, bring blank home. 
bring Johnny home. Bring Susie home. I want you to just pray that as I lead us in a prayer and pray in agreement that God, even if it takes the pig pen, okay, that's the reality of this. We're going to agree together that that person will really find a meaningful relationship with their Heavenly Father. Let's pray together. Lord, bring so-and-so home. Bring them home. Lord, let us see them. Let us see them on the road, even if it's after the pig pen, even if it's been hurtful, even if they're scarred and wounded, never to be the same. May we run toward them. May we meet them. Lord, thank you that we have the capacity because of your love and your grace to actually do this. We can't do this in our own power or in our own strength. And so we just say right now, empower us to be your voice, your hands, your feet, to go to the places that you've called us to go. Maybe it's waiting. Maybe it's just patience. Maybe we just have to wait and pray because we can't make it happen. We can't force it into being. I thank you for this, Lord. I thank you for this opportunity. We pray for this city. We pray for northern Colorado, the darkness, the challenges, Lord, with all the sexuality issues, all the drug issues, all the addiction issues in our culture. We pray right now that you would be a God who can release these people who are in bondage. And right now, if you're in this room and you say, I'm addicted, I am that prodigal, maybe no one knows it. A lot of addictions are very private and you can live a public life and no one really knows it, but you know it. And it's, it's robbing you of your true identity. So I want to pray over you. Lord, anyone in this room who right now would just acknowledge, I'm stuck. I'm worried. I need help. I just pray, Lord, that they would take the steps, not just to expect you to, quote, do a miracle and take all this out of them, but that they would take the steps to live accountable, to talk to someone about this, to get open and real before their life is destroyed. I just thank you for the honesty of the soul. And thank you that we can do this together with others because we love one another and we're called by your name. We give you the glory and the honor and be the Lord of this church. Lord, we exist. We exist to do your stuff, not ours. Amen.